1: Good morning to you. Welcome into the Action Line from WGNS. Everybody is concerned about COVID-19 and the pandemic, and we're hearing all sorts of stories, uh, some frightening, some not as frightening. And in reality, we just don't know sometimes which answers are accurate and which ones are not. So this morning, we're going to the chief medical officer at our local hospital, Ascension St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital. Dr. Julian Yang is with us this morning and he's joined us previously on the broadcast. First of all, Julian, thank you for joining us today.
0: Bart, thank you for having me back on. Uh, this is always an enjoyable experience.
1: Well, it's great to have you with us today and I, I guess let's start with the question that everybody is wondering about because we're hearing all sorts of different stories. How serious is the pandemic situation still?
0: Yes, um, I agree with you. I, I definitely do think that um, there's a lot of confusion um, and a lot of misinformation that's been spread about uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Um to the question of how serious it is, uh, I would say very much so that we still have to take this situation very seriously as a community. Uh, this comes from the perspective that this is a disease uh, that can still have some very serious health consequences for uh, specific individuals. Um, you know something that, uh, as the pandemic, unfortunately has spread, there's definitely been some people who have, uh, gotten COVID-19 confirmed the diagnosis and then had a very mild course of it. And they're very lucky. Um, you know, some, sometimes, uh, um, I've even heard stories of some people who get COVID and they, all they, all that happens is that they lose their sense of, um, uh, sense of smell. Uh, they might feel kind of uh, fatigued for a day, and then they they feel like they're they're back at it. And um, and when that story spreads, it's um, I can certainly understand uh, any but any reasonable person's reaction to that. That oh my gosh, what the heck is all the commotion about when uh, that's all it is? But I would put the message out there that those people who have uh, very mild symptoms like that. Um, and even though it, it could be that there's a lot of people who have mild symptoms like that, that is definitely not what happens for um, uh, uh, the unfortunate uh, people. And it's totally unpredictable.
1: Let me ask you this because it seems like the symptoms that we hear about change as often as, uh, as the seriousness of COVID-19. What, what are the symptoms of COVID-19?
0: Yeah, it's you know I think it's definitely worth um, reviewing um, just because of because of that misinformation. And so, um, just kind of going down the the list, the common ones are fever, body ache, uh, a dry cough, fatigue, chills, headache, sore throat. Um, and that peculiar uh, loss of smell, um, which sometimes uh, people identify, since smell is such an uh, important part of taste, uh, people report that they have a, maybe a metallic taste uh, in their mouth or that food just doesn't taste right.
1: How long does it take now to uh, have the test and get the result, mainly get the results back?
0: So from that perspective, I'm very happy to report that we're doing quite a bit better in terms of getting testing uh, results back. Uh, So if you recall back in March, April, when uh, our only testing option was limited to the state facility, uh, sometimes we were having to wait uh, almost a week to get that test result back. But uh, at our hospital, certainly we partnered with a number of commercial labs, um, and in the outpatient setting, uh, I think in general, I can say that results are coming back within uh, a day or two. In the hospital, uh, any patient who's in the emergency department or admitted, uh, we're able to, we have our own machine at St. Thomas West, um, and results, uh, tests from Rutherford get couriered up to West, and those results come back the same
1: day. So if you wanted to drive a little bit, you could uh, go over to the, the Harding Place, Harding Road, uh, St. Thomas in Nashville.
0: Yeah. Um, in Murfreesboro, we do have a uh, a testing site uh, at St. Louis Clinic. So um, the, the walk-ins are available there. Um, you can get tested, and um, the, the results should be back in a day or two time frame.
1: Oh, very good. So uh, I know that the wait is always the worrying part. You don't know, am I spreading this to my family? Am I you know, what am I doing? Uh, what, what can I do to reduce the problem? But I think you hit on something uh, earlier in your conversation. You mentioned that uh, some people have mild cases and some people don't. And, and it's it's not always the weak and elderly who are getting the covid-19 virus. Uh, in fact, uh, we were talking earlier prior to the broadcast and there was an Atlanta Braves uh, player. Tell, tell us a little about that.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I do happen to be uh, uh, a big baseball fan, and and I'm partial to the Atlanta Braves, and so when they had a little mini outbreak on their team, um, I thought it was just remarkable, uh, the story of the first baseman, uh, the superstar, Freddie Freeman, um, because he was laid out by it. And which is not unlike some of the stories that I've heard uh, with some very young people uh, here in our community, people in their 30s who they say that when they got COVID, they felt like they were hit by a truck. Um, They were in bed for days uh, with a fever that was very difficult to control. You know in the if you If you look up the story on the web, Freddie Freeman, he had a fever to one hundred four point five which is just um, crazy to hear and the fact that he was uh, praying to God to spare him, um, he thought he was going to die from the disease and When you think about it, this is a world class athlete um, at the prime of his career saying this, and so I think there's a lot for us to learn. Um, i mean really glad to see baseball back on tv um but uh some of these very public examples of this disease i think it's edifying for all of us uh in the communities
1: very definitely and and we're happy to see the braves back also Uh, we've been carrying the braves here on wgns this is our 39th year 39 years and, uh, time flies when you're having fun. We thought we were not going to have much fun this year, but thank goodness this past week, uh, they got started again. So, and, and they're serious about these games. They're going to do 60 something games, hardly any days off. It's, it's just awesome. So, uh, it's, it's, it's going to help all of us. Uh, let me ask you this, uh, with the COVID-19, How is our own hospital, Ascension St. Thomas Rutherford, how is it doing? We hear reports uh, in the news for Nashville hospitals, hospitals out of town, things of this sort. Uh, Are are we holding up? Do we have room, ICU beds, and what have you?
0: Yeah, I'll be honest, Bart, it has been definitely a challenge in recent weeks. I think it was the Friday afternoon of July 17th. Um, at one point, we had 42 admitted confirmed COVID patients in our hospital, which was uh, just about double the number of COVID patients that we had during that early surge in April. And um, we're doing our darnest to try to keep up, I think. There are some factors that are really helping us in terms of now managing through these uh, way higher numbers. Um, Certainly it helps us that last month we did open uh, the, we finished the construction on the three new floors and 72 additional beds have been added to the facility. So there's a a little bit of room uh, from that perspective. But certainly I'm very proud of our physicians, uh, particularly the hospital's physicians and the critical care docs, and the fact that they're managing the COVID patients a lot better. Um, We now have treatment regimens, uh, things that we learn from around the country. Uh, We do have access to the antiviral drug remdesivir. We're part of the Mayo Clinic's uh, donor plasma, the convalescent plasma treatment and um, we're, we're keeping up with all the literature in terms of treating these patients. And I think we're seeing the beneficial effects uh, as people who do get the serious disease that they're not having as many of the bad outcomes. I will say, um, for a portion of the patients who do get admitted, there are still those, like I said, it's totally unpredictable who it affects uh, uh, more severely. Um, and. I will say in our experience also that it's been some of the younger patients as well who have very severe respiratory failure, uh, need to be put on a ventilator. And in some cases, uh, we've had to work with our uh, partner physicians at St. Thomas West who have access to some advanced respiratory technology.
1: Let me ask you this. When you have COVID-19, Does this uh, impact you for future diseases? Does it weaken your immune system and make you more prone to have other problems later?
0: That's a great question. And certainly nobody right now can answer that. I do think we can think back to um, what happened in the last century with the Spanish flu. And what we do know from an epidemiological historical perspective, after the pandemic um, in the early part of the 20th century, even decades later, later you did see that there was um, an emergence of uh, a lot of autoimmune-type diseases, particularly with neurological effects, and um, There was a particular kind of Parkinson's disease that was um, thought to be related to infections earlier in life. So given that we're already seeing that COVID-19 can have so many um, neurological effects, even in the initial admission, it does make me wonder what the future might hold. And so for... For, this is another reason why for anybody who would poo-poo this disease and say that it's uh, no big deal, uh, for the sake of your overall lifetime health, uh, this is a disease that you absolutely want to avoid.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, let me ask you this because we're getting uh, people talking now about uh, the vaccination that's uh, about out. In fact, I think they're giving it in some places. And we have other physicians who are saying that, Coronavirus as a whole, not necessarily COVID-19 because we don't know the facts on this, but coronavirus as a whole normally just sort of fades away at the end of a year or a little longer than a year. Uh, So what are your thoughts on that? Is that findings that you have come across as well, that it does uh, as coronavirus, not COVID-19, generally fades away? Uh, And also, uh, how successful are some of the things you're hearing about the vaccination?
0: Yeah, so I don't think anybody can honestly say that they can anticipate that the disease would just fade away by itself. Um, uh, As we've learned, COVID-19 is a coronavirus, one of many, however, to... I think, in my personal opinion, it would definitely be a mistake to generalize the experience of coronaviruses in general, which have been in our human population for uh, for the history of humanity to what is a, really a true novel uh, virus that we have never seen before. Um, I do think that the vaccine you're talking about is the solution, um, and I'm very encouraged that um, are are the the pharmaceutical companies in partnership with uh, government leaders they're really trying to fast track the process when we that is the solution to this uh the vaccine when the vaccine comes and we make a great public health effort to get everyone vaccinated that to me is the end of the pandemic
1: well that's good uh we are ready to I think everybody's ready to say so long to this one. I'm I'm right up there on the front waving my flag. Uh, Now, let me ask you this because we're we're starting to see a resurge, and you mentioned that also. uh, Double that, basically, of the surge that came in April uh, is what you're seeing now here in Murfreesboro at Ascension St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital. If we're seeing this resurge, did the April quarantine efforts help any and and what did we learn from those April quarantine efforts that we should uh, really focus on right now
0: yeah so with how how much covid is now peaking it almost Um, I think, again, any reasonable person, when they hear that, they might think back to what we did in April and think, oh, my gosh, that was such an overreaction or that was unnecessary. But uh, I would challenge that and say that the quarantine efforts in April were so important for us in the medical community. And I would thank everyone who made that good faith effort to social distance, say, at home, because what you did is you bought us some very important time for us. Um, all those treatments that I was uh, telling you a little bit about earlier, um, we didn't have all of that organized uh, as a medical community and it's only with time and the experience that we've been able to organize these treatment algorithms. Locally, uh, if you recall that first week of March, we also had that tor- uh, the tornadoes that came through Middle Tennessee and uh, for us at, a, at St. Thomas Rutherford uh, in our ministry, the our our warehouse had been impacted uh, in, in Mount Joliet. So the the fact that uh, the community's efforts bought us time to reorganize, um, get ascension to help us uh, secure that important PPE, the personal protective equipment, uh, reestablish our supply uh, supply chain. Uh, that was very very important for us.
1: Very good. Now, as we look at wearing masks, coughing into our elbows, uh, not getting close to people, having social distancing, uh, is this going to become a way of life even after COVID-19? We've really learned a lot this time.
0: Yeah, um, I think the, the universal masking policies um, and the fact that it's now law in Rutherford County, uh, this is something that we're going to live with until we have the vaccine. And then um, the, after the pandemic, um, I have a lot of great hope for us uh, that things will start to feel uh, a lot more normal and back to um, everyday life. However, if there's anything that I could sort of press upon the listeners this morning, the most important message is the adherence to this um, universal masking. The I know that there's been... Um, I, I, I find it kind of weird, actually, honestly, that people would even challenge the idea that a, a mask covering your face uh, could be helpful. Um, then that maybe socially that there's some idea that this is um, using a mask, is that you're weak or paranoid or um, or even more disturbingly that um, wearing a mask shows a, a lack of faith in God, which, you know, as a person of faith, I think that's um, just uh, absurd. I think uh, God has given us many gifts and uh, the the ability to reason out uh, some common sense logic that uh, face covering to um, kind of block the transmission of a disease. I think he would. I think he would want us to have uh, uh, to exercise our brains that way.
1: Very definitely. Tell you what let's do. Let's pause and check on the traffic and weather. Our guest this morning is Dr. Julian Yang, the chief medical officer right here in town at our own Ascension St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital. We're going to pause for just a moment. We'll be back and continue the conversation. We're talking about COVID-19, the local story of COVID-19 and its impact on us Here in Rutherford County and the surrounding areas. And and how close are we to the end of this? I know a lot of you are ready to see it uh, become history. Uh, We're all, I think, ready for that. But uh, we're not quite there yet, but we are getting closer. Stay with us. Dr. Yang will be joining us again after we check on the traffic and weather. From the tallest tower in the city limits of Murfreesboro to every radio in the land. WGNS AM FM is everywhere you need us to be. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demus's Restaurant. We're excited to announce that our dining rooms are back up and running. We may not be at full capacity and we may not have all of your favorite menu items or the favorite touches that you're used to having, but at the same time, we are excited to be able to serve you. We have brought our servers back. We have retrained them. Our cooks are excited to put the steaks on plates that you can cut with a real knife as opposed to plasticware from your home. And I invite your family to come and join our family back at Demas's Restaurants on Broad Street in Murfreesboro. Here at Music World and Drummer's Den, we try to be a unique store, a pro-grade store, but one that also the beginner's going to feel comfortable in. So whether you're a beginning musician looking for those starter lessons, or whether you're a pro player who really needs that pro equipment, that's what we want to be here for you.
0: Hi, this is Tom. We offer a variety of
1: lessons in guitar, bass, keyboard, and drum set. This is Dave Kivanemi inviting you to come by Music World and Drummer's Den in Murfreesboro, across from Indian Hills. Good morning. Traffic still moving right now, but it's heavy at times on 24 westbound up uh, through the Hickory Hollow area towards Nashville. Watch your speed, especially coming out of Coffee County into Rutherford County, up and down I-24. Dr. Byron Bush, the only Republican candidate for U.S. Senate with a proven record for fighting for conservative values. Log on to BushForSenate.com. I'm Commander Chuck. You're on time trapping.
0: We'll see periods of showers and thunderstorms here for this afternoon with cloudy skies, a high in the mid-80s, winds out of the southwest around 5 to 10 miles per hour. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 77.
1: This weather on WGNS brought to you by First National Bank of Murfreesboro.
0: COVID-19 has changed our world. And First National
1: Bank of Murfreesboro is here to help you. During these uncertain times, it's good to have a friend to walk with you and help with financial guidance. First National Bank of Murfreesboro is here to help you with free text banking, bill paying, mobile deposits, and more. I'm Shelly Rigsby, Manager of First National Bank of Murfreesboro. And I'm Amanda Gentry, First National Bank of Murfreesboro, Member FDIC. If you have an iPhone or use an Android, we have an app for both. WGNS AM and FM is everywhere you need us to be, on-air and on-demand. This is one of those extremely important broadcasts this morning. We're sharing with you the updates locally on COVID-19. Dr. Julian Yang, the chief medical officer with our own local Ascension St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital here in Murfreesboro, is our guest this morning. We're learning about COVID-19 and some of the things that you need to know about it, some of the changes that have taken place over the past several months. And by the way, I do want to mention this program is also in the podcast format. At least it will be after the show is over. And you can go to our website or to any of the podcast sites uh, in the world. And it will be on that under the action line on WGNS. And you can uh, listen to it again and gather some of this information. Uh, Dr. Yang, as we uh, were leaving for that break, we were talking about some of the changes that have happened here in our community Uh, with the vaccination, hopefully, uh, right here on us. Once we really get that going, how long of a period do you think it will take for us to see if it's working and for things to start getting back to normal?
0: Ooh, that's, a, that's another great question in terms of uh, how quickly the vaccine would, a working vaccine would be disseminated. One, I'm, I'm very encouraged f- from the perspective that um, the pharmaceutical companies and the regulatory bodies are really taking the attitude to fast-track the development of vaccines. So maybe not necessarily having to um, go through all the um the the regulatory steps and really having the mentality that we gotta get something to the public as quickly as possible. But f- to the, I think the one 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 perspective here that I can't really speak to very well because it really honestly it's a question of the pharmaceutical industry and their ability to scale up their. Um, uh, manufacturing processes um, and their distribution channels uh, very quickly. Um, certainly, my hope is that uh, we'll be able to, um, I would imagine that the vaccine would initially start with the most vulnerable patient population first, um, so that the patients who are immunocompromised and the elderly, and then gradually spread out in uh, waves of vaccination.
1: Very good. Now, you've already mentioned that one of the most important things that we need to get more in the habit of doing to reduce this spread of COVID-19 is to use that mask, use the mask. Uh, but secondly, I noticed that as a result of, of this past few months, uh, a lot of people have been afraid to go to the hospital and uh, they, they've been staying at home when some Pretty serious things are happening in their lives. Uh, could you tell us uh, sort of address that that situation
0: right and so I think that 's a very important point to address as well and Just because the hospital does have covid nineteen patients, I do want to report to the public that we are safely caring for these COVID patients and the patients who don't have COVID as well. So uh, we do have good, adequate PPE, personal protective equipment, um, so that our health care workers are um, protected and that also our patients are protected while they're here as well. So certainly um, an emergency is still an emergency. So anything that is broken bones, signs or symptoms of a heart attack or a stroke, uh, they should not be ignored. Um, because of of a fear of getting COVID-19 at the hospital. I would actually say that um, the hospital is probably one of the more safe places where you wouldn't get COVID-19 because we're so um, vigilant for um, masking and social distancing and putting the processes in place. So uh, to anybody who's listening, I would say please encourage your friends, family, your uh, home communities that if they – do need emergent, important care, uh, don't wait. It's not a go to the emergency room. That's what it's for.
1: Let me ask you this, because this this came up in uh, some earlier broadcast before COVID-19. The public seems to sometimes think, well, I will get uh, my relative, my friend, whomever it is, uh, in my car and I'll take them quickly to the emergency room and uh, we had a program uh, a good while back about the importance of calling nine one one and when the ambulance comes to your house that's sort of like an extension of the emergency room where that vital life-saving work can take place uh, immediately is that still holding true
0: oh very true Bart the um again for these uh very emergent situations, the the EMS, the ambulances, they are equipped with such advanced technology now and those uh the EMTs, uh, the paramedics, they um, have such great training. Um, it's you if you're you know, just because you're you think you're helping out by uh driving in emergency situations, in an emergency room. However, what you might be doing is you're, you might be delaying care accidentally. So there are certainly things that can be done in the field, should be done in the field, and um, the sort of uh, emergency transport really should be left to the professionals.
1: I, I was am- amazed that in one of our recent uh, tragic accident reports on the interstate uh, where there were some fatalities, one of the... Uh patients in, in a vehicle uh, on the police report it said taken to the hospital by a good Samaritan and I thought whoa, that, that that's really, I'm not sure that person got the best trip to the hospital after all
0: yeah that's that's uh, I, I can't speak to that specific uh, story or situation but that uh, does certainly uh, I share your worry there
1: Yeah, very definitely so one other thing that I've noticed with this COVID-19, uh, it has reduced the amount of visitors, dramatically almost eliminated uh, visitors at the hospital. And uh, there's one thing that I had heard about that I thought was just wonderful that St. Thomas has done, and that's the picks for Patients. Tell us about that and, and the theory behind it.
0: Sure. Um, just to clarify, I do want to make sure that the public knows that um, in Ascension Saint Thomas facilities, uh, we do allow visitors for non-COVID patients. So um, it is a uh, one visitor per patient at a time, and no more than two total visitors per day uh, during daytime hours, between the hours of eight a.m. and eight p.m. Um, and certainly, no uh, children, uh, no visitors under the age of eighteen are allowed. Um, However, for those situations, um, we're, at present, we are still restricting visitors in the emergency department, but uh, I can actually say that I was in a meeting just before this call discussing that very topic, uh, trying to think about uh, safety issues from the perspective of having family support in the emergency room. Um, The COVID-19 patients, we do restrict visitors from an infection control standpoint. But the picks for Patients program is uh, very um, uh, interesting, it's cool. I'm, I'm glad that our ministry was able to devise this kind of um, uh, program. So if, you're, if, if, if there are multiple uh, visitors who, uh, m- multiple family members who would like to connect with their loved one who might be um, hospitalized, uh, they can email the Picks for patients at ascension.org email. So that's uh, picks for P I C S F O R P A T I E N T S at ascension.org. The this th- these pictures um, get printed out and hand delivered to the patient. So uh, just just ways we're trying to be creative to think of uh, bridging that gap um, when um, in during normal times. In the past, uh, patients would be able to have uh, all kinds of uh, visitors and not necessarily be restricted. Um, We're trying to uh, be creative.
1: Very good. So, sort of in review of what we have spoken about this morning, because there are, I'm sure, two or three people who joined us late and didn't get here on time. We'll have to mark them down. (laughs) But uh, for people who are facing the Concerns that we're all facing right now of the COVID-19 pandemic. We're seeing a resurge of that. Uh, actually, you mentioned double that uh, here in Murfreesboro, double that of the early surge in April. Uh, what is the best way that everybody can work together? Uh, do we need to stay in the house again? Do we need to not go out at all? Uh, what, what do we need to be doing?
0: I'd ask that our community exercise some common sense uh, logic here. So, the things that we do know about this disease is that um, it's it's the aer- aerosol transmission. The idea that certainly coughs and sneezes that's that's the biggest risk. But just having a face to face conversation unmasked between two people that is also um, uh, a high-risk exposure. So the rule that we use in our hospital is if uh the story is that two people, one person is COVID uh, 19 positive, and they are not both not wearing masks, and they are face to face within six feet for 15 minutes. We consider that a high risk exposure. Um, not to say all the low risk exposure that might occur um, if, if you're not even within that sort of uh, close physical distance for that period of time. The so. Um, Certainly, the masking helps for that particular situation, but social distancing, from the perspective, I you know, I don't think anybody should be throwing large parties or or things like that, and um, if maybe even really trying to limit your social circle, in a sense, um, you know, I think one thing that I've heard some uh, community members talking about their. Uh, pod Uh, they're pod of people that they are comfortable close enough that will limit their social interactions with um, in a socially distanced mass safe way Uh, but outside of that really trying to be um, trying to try to understand that every every transmission from person to person really just keeps prolonging this disease
1: so it's Okay, and, and let me be sure I'm understanding you. Your personal pod of friends, if you have a couple that you enjoy doing things with, playing cards, eating dinner, whatever, uh, it's okay to do that, but social distance. Uh, and, and if you do that, and, and should you wear a mask? Uh, like if you're sitting in the home atmosphere, should you wear the mask when you're playing cards, or, or what should you do?
0: Yeah, that is the smartest thing you can do is try to keep that six feet of distance away and stay masked uh, while you're um, uh, with people out from outside your home.
1: Okay. And and since there are at least three different types and maybe more, but I know there are three types of masks, I wanted to get your thoughts on those. Do they all do the same thing? You have the mask that look like the surgical mask. You have the mask. That look like uh, bandanas Sort of what the cowboys wore The robbers (laughs) on the cowboy movies And then you have some that are Vinyl, clear vinyl Face shields That cover your entire face Uh, What to me looks like What my dentist used Forever Uh, Are they all doing the same thing The face shields The bandanas And then the facial masks Do they all do basically the same thing
0: yeah, the, um, I would comment that certainly the, um, from what we understand from the early data is that the medical grade masks, if you're able to find them, the ones um, uh, typically the blue ones uh, with the ear loops, uh, they have much more efficacy than sort of home rig bandanas. Um, the bandanas, because they, they can be, depending on how you tie them, can be a little bit loose fitting. So if someone were to sneeze, uh, i 've seen some videos of mapping how the aerosolization pattern uh, you can see that uh, the aerosol material sort of leaks out all from all directions from the bandana. The surgical masks uh, because they're a lot more form fitting and uh, hug your face uh, that 's uh, certainly I think um, um, a, a bit more ideal than uh, bandanas but if uh I, I know, I've, I've seen them in various stores that you can um, uh, get these um, uh, medical-grade type masks now. But um, certainly a bandana, though, I would say is better than nothing.
1: Okay, so those are important things. And I, I just feel like we should mention this because I think there is this inner feeling. I, I guess the feeling that we were taught as a child uh, is to go to work. And and do your best job at work. But if you're feeling bad, that's not the time, especially these days. You don't want to go to work feeling bad. And uh, what what are some of the things that you should be aware of uh, to make you decide to go or not to go? What are some of the factors you're looking for?
0: Oh, absolutely. So um, this is where it just is upon everybody to be very honest with themselves. And so those uh, be very um, on the watch for those typical symptoms of COVID. Um, and they can be subtle at first, um, certainly any fever or cough. Uh, but if you're feeling off from the perspective of fatigue or a tickle at the back of your throat, Um, You just got to weigh it against the fact, is it really worth the risk that if you go into work, uh, that you might become the potential epicenter of an outbreak um, amongst your colleagues? Uh, I do know that uh, in a couple stories that I've heard, uh, not here at the hospital, that um, people who've gotten COVID and they had a very mild course of uh, disease, but then um, they realized that they, may have given COVID to someone who has not had such an easy course of, um, of the disease and maybe have had to be hospitalized. And there's a sense of guilt there. And I think um, nobody wants to be in that situation. Nobody wants to be the person that uh, brought COVID to work.
1: Very good. Let me ask you this, too, because uh, we're getting a few questions in by email or text message from listeners. Uh, this person is asking us, how safe are they with their own family? I mean, uh, wife, husband, children, uh, do they all have basically the same germs? And uh, can they be together without some of the worries that, uh, that we're thinking about, that we're talking about?
0: Yeah. So household contacts, uh, we just do consider by virtue of the how much shared space that people are in, uh, typically at home. That if one person were to get COVID, we do consider that a high risk exposure. Um, the um, from a, a safety standpoint, I think that's why it really sort of behooves everyone to uh, to. To encourage your family members to, to think of the family at large in their personal habits and what they're doing in terms of social distancing and masking.
1: Okay. So uh, do wear the masks at, is this what I'm hearing? Wear the mask at home as well?
0: No, uh, no, no, no. Um, I, I, I think that would be uh, uh, a far overreach of what we're asking the public to do. Um, I'm saying that, um, if your, if your loved one and your family, uh, for whatever reason, is um, not wearing their mask, they need to understand that they are putting you at risk at home.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Very good. And and also, one other thing, if you're going to a restaurant, uh, if you have a choice of eating outside or inside, uh, is is one preferable over the other, especially if it's 95 degrees outside? <laughs>
0: Right, and that that definitely becomes a a tough decision point I can understand, but certainly understanding in terms of um, uh, the shared airspace um, and airflow considerations, the um, inner room, depending on how the air conditioners might be set up and how uh, the airflow is um, flowing from uh, table to table, even though they may be separated six feet apart, out, outside patio dining is definitely more favorable in terms of preventing um, spread.
1: Okay, so if you had friends that you wanted to invite over for dinner and play cards afterwards uh, outside on a screened-in porch or something of that sort, uh, would be preferable to inside.
0: Oh, yes, that, that does, definitely makes sense.
1: Okay, and and then uh, while we're talking about outside, we're trying to get in all these last-minute questions people are having. Uh, they're saying uh, that they love to get out and walk, and especially since they're not seeing that many people, uh, is it safe to walk outside? Uh, even if, you, if you're stopped by a neighbor and they want to talk to you, uh, is that still safe to talk While you're outside, and should you be wearing a mask uh, when you're by yourself outside and not expecting to find somebody?
0: Yeah, so um, another great question, and certainly walking uh, around the neighborhood is something that my family and I, my family and I, uh, we love to do. Um, and because we do live in a neighborhood, we do expect to meet people. And from that perspective, uh, we do have our masks handy. Um, when we do come across uh, people we know, we make an effort to make sure that we're standing uh, at least six feet apart. And in some cases, um, eight, 10 feet apart and just uh, <laughs> kind of um, use the chance to, uh, to, to use our lungs and um, have the conversations that way but really also trying to limit the extent of the conversations um, and not necessarily having an hour-long uh, dialogue. Um, it's too hot anyways, but... <laughs>
1: You're right there. Uh, here's another question from a listener, and they're noticing that more and more people are starting to travel again, uh, not just traveling in your own car, but they're talking about traveling in airplanes. Uh, is that safe again? Uh, they, they're saying that they were concerned in the fact that uh, these airplanes are enclosed facilities and uh, you're sharing the germs with everybody. Has anything changed in that? Has the circulation improved? Have things changed uh, in close quarters like airplanes, trains, boats, things of that sort?
0: So I'm no, uh, certainly no expert in aerospace engineering, um, but first I would ask someone if, they, if they're if they traveling by air, um, is the reason for travel absolutely necessary this year? Um, is this something, is this a fun trip that can be postponed to next year? Uh, you got to have that consideration, but if you are obligated to be in a plane, um, for uh for whatever reason. Um and I and I will share that personally I had a, a family obligation that I did have to travel via a plane uh, and and did, did a little bit of research. Um and I you can't quote me as, as an expert or anything like that, but as I understand the inside of planes that there's uh industrial grade HEPA filters so that the air inside planes is um uh, uh, uh in one sense um uh, safer than you would think. The real risk, though, is getting uh, on board and off the plane um, from the perspective of those security areas, the high congestion uh, areas where you're gonna be around a lot of people um, all at once. And so the trying to remain socially distanced, now I, that trip that I referenced that I personally had to take kind of took place uh, during a time when there really wasn't a lot of travel, so it was actually easy to get around with not having to be around anybody. Um, but uh, as travel picks up, I, I would. Um, there's definitely. I'm not sure that's something that I would do again right now.
1: Okay, and I think we're we're getting a message uh, of what other countries are feeling uh, because a lot of travel from the United States to other countries, we are still not what you'd call welcome tourists, uh, and I guess they they realize that maybe it's. Uh, the COVID-19 situation is still growing here in the United States and has started regrowing. I think uh, the trips from Nashville uh, to London and things of that sort, if you fly to London, they require you a quarantine for two weeks. Uh, <laughs> that's oftentimes the whole trip. So that's not working. And you're getting the message right there. Uh you know, don't come to London right now, don't go to Europe right now, and probably the same for other directions, too. So, uh, you know, maybe maybe there is a message there. Should we be doing the same thing? Uh, do we need a lot of tourists coming into the United States? Uh, maybe we should have the same thoughts that, that they're putting out. Uh, as a medical physician, uh, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, I I, I don't know, I can't really speak to the epidemiology that way, Um, and so, but I think that's a great question that we, um, I'd I'd love to get the answer to personally as well to understand how do we isolate travel uh, to and from certain places, Um, because, you know, I I can share with you, unfortunately, that Tennessee as a state, we're not doing as well as some other states. And we've definitely had higher numbers um, uh, than other areas, and um, the well, we'll just say. it does seem to the numbers do seem to change week to week. So it's pretty hard for me to put a blanket statement out there.
1: Okay, so we're we're back to the importance of wearing a mask, social distancing, covering our coughs, washing our hands. The basic things that we have been told from the beginning is that correct absolutely it 's interesting. I will just sort of throw this in. We were um, out of town the other day and not too far out of town. I think we were up in McMinnville uh, and which forty miles out of town uh, that 's a trip these days, but uh, they had a display in one of the windows. Uh, and they were practicing the social distancing and masking there, too. But it was interesting. They had a, a, a display in a window of some photographs in Warren County of what it was like during the Asian, was it the Asian flu in the 1918s? Uh, what would, but they were doing the same things that we're doing now. They were using the word social distancing, and they were masking themselves, but they didn't have masks like we have, it was basically gauze. Looked like gauze just uh, put over the faces, and uh, some of them even had gauze on their their dogs' faces. So uh, similar ideas, but but then really, uh, they didn't know about that. Uh, flu, the Spanish flu back then, they didn't know about that. Just like we are not that knowledgeable on COVID-19. So the basics or what we're falling on now. Uh, So be sure and wear your mask. And secondly, remember in an emergency, if you're having a heart attack, a stroke, or any of those things, yes, the hospital is always the safest place. The emergency room is where you want to go and call 911 for help. Uh, Doctor, have we left anything out this morning?
0: No, I think um, I really thank you for this opportunity to speak to our community. Um, the uh, appreciate the all of um, the Rutherford County's support in um, of our hospital and the efforts that we're making.
1: And we thank you and everyone at Ascension St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital. Uh, You're keeping us safe here. Everybody over there, they are heroes in our books. And we are so proud of all of you and so thankful that uh, these new floors that were being built are now open and able to uh, care for the needs of our community. Dr. Julian Yang, our guest this morning, the chief medical officer at Ascension St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital here in Murfreesboro. Dr. Yang, thank you again. You have a great day. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. Dr. Julian Yang with us this morning. Stay with us. Much more to come. Truman is next on Your Good Neighbor Station, WGNS Murfreesboro. Hey, have a good day.